I thank the Lord I can sing. I can't sing well, but I can sing. But when you get sick and you get tired, it's hard to, it's hard to keep singing out like that. And so uh, I'm going to have to take a deep breath here before we get into the preaching here and uh, change my hats. John chapter 3 tonight. I don't know if you've caught on to a trend here, but we're going to be in John 3.16 tonight. And uh, we're looking through the 3.16s of the New Testament. And there's just some very interesting ones that come up every single time you come to the 3.16s of the New Testament. Matthew 3.16 dealt with the baptism of Christ. Mark 3.16 deals with the choosing of the disciples. Luke 3.16 deals with the ministry of John the Baptist. John 3.16, well, it's probably one of the greatest and most well-known verses of all. Christendom, Christianity. Romans 3.16, it's the doctrine of sin. And so on and so on and so on. We'll see some more of those. But tonight we're in John 3.16. And I hate to tell you this, but we're not even going to get to John 3.16 tonight. I thought I was going to. And, uh, but I want to see something here tonight that really the Lord developed as I was studying this out. And uh, I hope it will be a help to you tonight as we look here in the Gospel of John chapter 3. And let's start with verse number 1. And that's the way we've been doing these. We've been not just studying the verse, but we've been trying to look at some context around the verse and see what makes it so important. What makes this verse to be the verse that it is? No verse in the Bible just stands out on its own. It does, there's no verse in the Bible that is just a picture on a wall. No, the Word of God is built upon itself. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, and that is the way that the whole entire Word of God is built. We really hurt ourselves, and a lot of times cults are formed whenever, and especially false religions, whenever they pull out one or two or five or six verses, and they pull those out of context, and they hang their whole entire doctrines just on a few verses. And we've got to be so careful that we don't do that. We hang our whole hat on the Word of God. On every word, every line, every verse, every chapter, every book, and it all fits together. As one person said, this is not 66 books, this is one book right here. This is one book. The Bible is one book. And it's not a collection of books, it's one book. Cohesively fit together as one unit, working together. So we're in John chapter 3 tonight. And let us notice about a man named Nicodemus. He says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you notice a play on words there? Nicodemus says to Jesus, except God be with thee. Jesus says, except a man be born again. Uh, he is drawing out some, uh, he's drawing, he's trying to get Nicodemus's attention here. In fact, the 
very interesting part here in our Bible. The Bible says in verse number 2, the same came to Jesus by night. The same came to Jesus by night. And uh, it shows to us that Nicodemus is a great picture, an analogy of a lost man. He's in darkness. He's in the night. Uh, he, he can't see. He's blind. And then notice another uh, very interesting point in verse number 25 of chapter number 2. Jesus did not need that any, man should, that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man. You ever read it like that before? John 2, 25 to 3, 1. For he knew what was in man, there was a man. What is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knew what was in man, and he knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus and exactly what Nicodemus needed to hear. Nicodemus thought that nobody could do the miracles except God be with them. And Jesus says, there's something greater than the miracles I'm doing except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? I believe signifying that Nicodemus was an older man. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was no young buck. Uh, but can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's a lot of confusion on what water means. Does that mean that we're born again by being baptized and being also having the Spirit of God indwell within us? Well, that is not true. The Bible never mentions that to us. I believe it's very obvious, according to the book of James and also 1 Peter, that we're born again of incorruptible seed by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, by the washing of the water of the Word. There's two agents that work in our hearts whenever we get saved. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Those two working in our lives. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing, what does it say? By the what? Word of what? God. And so it's these two agents working in our hearts together to produce in us salvation. It is the Word of God, the washing of the water of the Word, like Ephesians says, the being born again of incorruptible seed, the Word of God, and also the Spirit of God working in our hearts. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. He says you can't have any control of the Spirit of God. Nobody has a control over the wind. Can you control the wind, Nicodemus? So can you control the Spirit of God? He says, no. Nicodemus answered and said unto them, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master? Or a teacher, you might think about that. Or a master teacher. A master of Israel. And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. And you receive not our witness. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm testifying unto you what I've seen with my own eyes. I know what I'm talking about. I've been with the Father. And the Father's been with me is what he's trying to tell Nicodemus. I know what I'm saying, but you're not receiving what I'm saying. 
If I have told you earthly things and you believe me not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? How can I keep talking to you about these things if you don't even understand the simple stuff? And he says in verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that which came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Wow, that's a powerful verse. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now our text. For God so loved the world. Let's all say it together, all right? Maybe you've already memorized it, and you can say it out loud. Here we go. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we ask you tonight to please help us as we study into your word to be able to have some understanding of what you want for us here tonight. Pray that, Father, we would see, as Nicodemus, I believe, saw, that he would have that we would that he had a listening ear a listening heart he desired to know the things of god and to know what you wanted even though he didn't quite understand but lord i pray that even when we don't understand that god our hearts will be open and receptive to thy truth in christ i pray amen now tonight we have in front of us as i've just as we've just all quoted it together john 3:16 perhaps some have said it argued it's the greatest verse in all the Bible. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. I have a hard time saying there is a greatest verse. I like it all. But some have argued maybe it's the most well-known. I would probably say yes to that. It's described as the gospel in the nutshell. But we need to be careful because there's a lot in this nutshell. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people be able to preach on every single word in John 3.16, a whole message just on the word for. I won't do that to you tonight, all right? But you could. There's so much in this one particular verse. You could preach on every bit of it and still just be at the tip of the iceberg. But at the same exact time, though it be such a profound verse and a profound statement, yet it is a, such a simple thought and a simple statement that a child can understand it. You can tell a child and rehearse to a child and explain to a child what John 3.16 means. And they can understand. They can get it. It's a memorizable, memorizable verse. Kids do it all the time in their classes. It's a blessed verse because there's been no doubt countless people that have been one to the Lord because of John 3.16. You see it at sporting events. I've seen it tacked onto telephone poles, put on billboards, stamped on shirts and business cards of Christian people. It's a verse that has taken the hearts and the affections of many believers. It's why many missionaries even desire to translate this verse very first whenever they go to the mission field. If they don't have a Bible in their language. Because it tells us the whole entire gospel story in one concise sentence. Just think about this sentence. It's an amazing sentence. Could you or I ever write a sentence like this? I mean, we could never have written a sentence so concise and so perfect. Could I do it? I could not. Could John do it? John might have pinned it with his hand, but I don't think that John could have done it. Nobody could have done this at all except the Holy Spirit of God working 
through the Apostle John in this particular case. Only God could compose such a sentence that could translate so beautifully, in fact, too, for us. But as tonight, as I said earlier, I want us to take a look, perhaps a little bit deeper into the background of this verse. And take a little bit, look a harder look into where this verse is coming from. What was being said before? We really jump into John 3.16. And I might not even do that on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night. I might even, I've been thinking maybe preaching this on a Sunday morning. But nonetheless, this verse has no fancy linguistics. It has no fancy grammar rules. There's no hard to understand sayings in John 3.16. It's straightforward and to the point. It means what it says and it says what it means. So who is Jesus talking to here? Well, he's talking to Nicodemus. All right? If you're under the age of 15 tonight, then you'll be taking a test on this. All right? So, uh, all right, be taking a test. He's talking to Nicodemus. That's who he's talking to. He's a ruler of the Jews, is what the Bible says. He was an educated man. He was a Pharisee. He would have known the law and the prophets. He was smart. He was educated. He was a part of what some call the Sanhedrin. That means the Pharisees were a large group of men that were separated for the cause of uh, Judaism. But there were only 70 men that had the upper echelon of Judaism and and Nicodemus was a part of that society. He was a ruler in his society. He was a respected man. He was no doubt a loved man. He no doubt had a family. He no doubt had uh, probably kids and grandkids. But here is this man speaking to another man that is twice his junior, perhaps, We can suppose that maybe he's 50, 60 years old, maybe 40 years old, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. Jesus is most likely and most assuredly younger than Nicodemus here. Jesus is only about 30, 30 30 years old. And he comes to him and he looks at him and he, can you imagine him looking at this 30 year old? Here is a man that's educated, he spent his whole life studying the scriptures, his whole entire life. Studying the scriptures. And here is a man that's 30 years old coming on the scene. And Nicodemus knows this man knows more than I know. <laughs> and I've never seen him in any school. Can you imagine that? Uh, the, the humility he must have felt. But not only that, this man, Jesus, had the power of God on him. He was doing miracles. Amazing things. How did this person who appeared out of nowhere, who was raised in Nazareth, know so much about God and the Father and eternal life and salvation? How did he know so much and how did he have all this power and why did so many people listen to him? Who is this man? And look what he says. He says, Rabbi... Now, that might not seem very profound to you. But you've got to understand something about Jewish culture. For a 40, 50, or 60-year-old master teacher of the law 
to call a 30-year-old man that had no letters behind his name, Rabbi, this is a huge step. This is an amazing step. This is the master teacher, Nicodemus, looking upon Jesus, who has no credentials at all, and say, you're the master of master teachers. You're smarter than us all. You're the rabbi. You're the one that is the greatest of all. You're the rabbi. You're the one I want to learn on. When somebody would come to one and say, rabbi, they were saying, teach me. I want to learn. I need to learn from you. Here is a man that had learned. He thought all he could learn. And yet he's found out he really knows nothing. He knows nothing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine working somewhere all your life? Working so hard at everything that you thought that you uh, could do. And then suddenly somebody pops on the scene that never has any experience in what you're doing in life and then knows 10 times more than what you know and does it 10 times better than the what you do it (laughs) that's Jesus he's humbled he comes to him with great respect and he readily admits that Jesus knows more to him by calling him rabbi it's interesting title because I think also because Jesus tells his disciples, let no man call you rabbi. But anytime Jesus is called rabbi, he gladly accepts the title. Anytime that he's called master, he accepts the title. For he even says one time, for none is, one is your master, even Christ. Even Christ. He says, call no man father either. Um, I don't know where the Catholics sometimes get away with that. Uh, but the point being is this, he's saying, don't. Don't go by these titles, because there's only one master teacher, and that's Jesus. Nicodemus also makes a very honest admission that I think is also overlooked. In fact, I had to overlook this statement in all my studies of John 3. I had never seen this before. He says in verse number 2, it says, We're coming, You come from, we, this is what he says, it says, Rabbi, we know That thou art a teacher come from God. He says, yeah, we know you're a teacher come from God. We. Who's we? The Pharisees. All his friends. Everybody knew that Jesus came from God. The blind man that didn't know anything knew that Jesus came from God from God but they still hated him why is it that Jesus is coming teaching great and awesome things why is it that when Jesus comes preaching and doing marvelous miracles why is it that the Pharisees still hate him why don't they like him it's because they were unwilling to face their sin. I truly believe that every person's true issue to why they will not come to Jesus Christ is they don't want to face their sin. They might have arguments. They might be able to reason away different things. I think the rest of that is secondary. 
All of that is truly just a facade. It's a put on. The real reason why people do not come to seek God for salvation is because they are too proud and they love their sin too much. They don't want to deal with their sin. They don't want to admit they're wrong. They don't want to admit in front of their friends that I need Jesus Christ. They don't want to admit that they're lost and going to hell. They don't want to tell anybody that. They would rather stay proud and arrogant and sinful rather than turn to Jesus Christ. Nicodemus is obviously different. Nicodemus, though, is a secret agent type of Christian, you might say. (laughs) He's a little scared. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But the point being is this, is that he was afraid of his peers, and I can understand that. But he was at least willing to get past the place that he thought he had it all figured out. And he realized that Jesus did. He was coming to Jesus for help. And you know what's amazing about Christ? Let me pause here for a second and put a point of application here in. Is that I don't care where you're at in life. Jesus does not care when you come to him. Isn't it great that Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, why didn't you talk to me when you were with all your buddies? You too ashamed to come to me? You got to come to me at night? That's how some people treat people. But Jesus never treated anybody like that. Jesus will let you come to him any time of day or night. You don't have to be at a special appearance. It don't have to be a special show. It don't have to be a special church service or anything. Is that Christ would let us come to us, him at any time. And that is where we all must start with God. We all must ask ourselves, are we humble enough to admit that the answers really do lie in Jesus Christ? Now, I believe probably the vast majority of us here tonight, and uh, knowing many of you here, obviously, that we came to Christ believing in, to, and believing in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We trusted him for our salvation. But are we willing to come to Christ for anything? Are we humble enough to admit that the answers really do lie in Jesus Christ? Or are they to be found somewhere else? Are our answers for life only to be found in salvation in Christ? Or are they to be found in everything about life? Can I find all the answers in Christ about how to raise my kids or how to manage my marriage or how to uh, perhaps... Uh, manage my finances or how to live my life or uh, how I uh, might entertain myself? Can I go to Jesus for these things too? I believe we could go from major to minor here and say that if we can trust Christ with the most major thing, eternal salvation, then can we not trust him for the minor things, the daily things? Our answer is to be found somewhere else. Nicodemus, I believe, did not think so. That's why he went to Jesus. 
He knew that there was to be answers found in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you live that out? Or is there answers to be found in your own intellect or what I want to do? Here is one that I often hear. I want to do what is best for my family. And we could be tempted to say, I always want to do what is best for my family. But in saying that, we might be tempted that we don't do anything for God. For what may be the will of God might not be, in a worldly sense, the best thing for my family. I don't always know that it's the best thing for a family to go to the mission field. (laughs) In a worldly sense. I mean, is that the best thing for a family? To sell everything they've got? A guy's going to quit his job and uh, they're going to move halfway across the world and learn another language? Is that the best thing for a man's family? Not according to the world it wouldn't be. But if that's the will of God, it is. It's taking a job that makes me lots of money but separates me from my family, best for my family. Is moving away from a good church to go to another place that has no church best for my family? We need to truly always evaluate our decisions according to Jesus Christ and his word. I like what Psalm 119, 169 says. It says, let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Who was Nicodemus coming to for help? Jesus, yes. You got it. All right? You got the Sunday school answer. But he was coming to the Word. Jesus is the Word. So who is he coming to? Who is is Jesus coming to, talking to? Nicodemus, yes. Corey, 100%, right there. There you go, all right. Now, what is Jesus trying to teach Nicodemus? Well, we're going to see a couple of things here. He is trying to teach Nicodemus... This, that the doctrines that he has trusted in, the doctrines, the teachings, the things that Nicodemus has trusted in for his salvation, that many of those doctrines have been wrong. Many of those doctrines about salvation, I should say, have been wrong. What he's really doing is this. Jesus is tearing down Nicodemus's view Of both man to God and God to man. In John chapter number 4, Jesus goes through Samaria. And he meets a woman at the well. I don't know if you've ever thought through the book of John a lot. But if you think through the book of John, John is laid out very, it's just laid out so perfectly according to the Holy Spirit of God. John 3 is Nicodemus. John 4 is the woman at the well. You couldn't have two diametrically opposed different people than Nicodemus and the woman at the well. John 5 is the, I believe, the the blind man. It's just, you read through John, it's very interesting how he deals with different people in each chapter. But here in John chapter number 5, or John chapter number 4 and John chapter number 3, you've got Nicodemus and the woman at the well. The thing is this, is that Nicodemus nor the woman at the well realize that they are exactly alike. Both are lost, both are clueless, 
Both are clueless to what truly God is teaching in his word about salvation. Both had false ways of worship. Both had false ways of getting to God. Both had false views of themselves. And that is important if people are going to see real change and salvation in people. People, all people, every person must have their idols torn from their hearts so that Jesus can be improperly enthroned as Lord and Savior upon their hearts. Every person in this world must have the idols ripped out of their hearts. They must be born again. Jesus makes that clear with that first statement. He says, you need to have a totally different life, he says. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, I believe Nicodemus doesn't even have an idea what Jesus is talking about. Because in verse number 4, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? I don't think that Nicodemus is being sarcastic here. Or maybe he's making a befuddled remark about entering the mother's womb and he's dumbfounded about what Jesus said. I don't exactly know. You know what I wish the Bible sometimes had in italics? I wish the Bible had voice inflection in the, in the italics, you know? Because if it had voice inflection, then I could understand maybe a little bit more of what maybe he was saying right there. Maybe he was saying, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? You know, if he said it like that. How can a man be born when he's old? I don't know exactly how he said it. I just know he was confused. He didn't understand. We cannot tell. But whatever it is, he was depending upon himself for salvation. He was not depending solely upon God. He was depending upon his past. And whenever you depend upon your salvation, or let me say this, or even when we depend upon ourselves for wisdom, we place ourselves back into preschool, if you will. What's a preschooler know? Not very much. A little K four-year-old. I mean, she just doesn't, I mean, mama might have taught her her one, two, threes, but she still, you know, says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, you know, she thinks that, she still thinks that elemental P is one, is, is like one letter, you know what I mean? That's one letter, elemental P, you know? How do you spell that, mommy? How do you spell elemental P? Um, that's what a preschooler thinks. You know, one, two, three, six, eight, four, two, one. You know, they're 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 all over the place. Whenever you, in your life, think that you know the answers more than God knows the answers, you're going back to preschool. You're going back to preschool. You really don't know anything. What is sad? We can all be like Nicodemus when we think we know it all. But we're sadly mistaken and we end up getting hurt when we find out that we don't. We've got to realize that we've got to trust in Christ all the way through. Now here is the key. Whenever Jesus poses these questions and statements to Nicodemus, Nicodemus never gets upset. Notice here, 
in our text. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? He's asking, I just really believe he's asking a logic. He's trying to ask, he's trying to get more information out of Christ. Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born again? He says in verse number 9, how can these things be? He doesn't understand. He's asking genuine questions. The thing about it is, is that Nicodemus never gets upset. He never gets mad at Jesus. He never loses his cool. He doesn't get mad at Christ. Unlike the Pharisees who wanted to get mad, who got mad at Christ and even at times wanted to kill him. Nicodemus, even later in John chapter number 15, makes a half-hearted decision and remark to try to defend Jesus Christ. And he's derided for it. But what is your response when Jesus' teachings are taught to you? Whenever Christ tries to teach you something, what do you say? Whenever Christ says that we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, what is your response to that? Well, I can't do that. Well, what can you do? Or let me ask you this. What do you want to do? Hmm? Some people say, I just, don't, I just don't think I could do that. Well, what do you want to do? That's a way to find your idol. Whenever, somebody, whenever you find somebody preaching or you read Jesus' words about something, you say, I can't do that. Stop saying, I can't do that, and ask yourselves this question, what do I want to do? Well, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to obey that. Love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, Jesus says to, it's easy for you to love somebody that loves you. As one preacher said, whoop-de-doo, right? It's easy to love people that love you. Maybe I could talk to some siblings here tonight, you know, too. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love the people that are being nice to you. But you've got to learn to love people that are not nice to you. You say, well, I just just can't do that. Then what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, I just want to be with somebody that loves me. Well, then you're proving that your idol of your heart is this. Is that you want to be with people that love you. And you don't want to follow Jesus. We got to, you say, I thought this was about John 3.16. What I'm getting at is this, is that this is all going towards John 3.16. This is all about Nicodemus's attitude. Nicodemus's attitude was one of humility. It was one that was coming to him as one saying, Rabbi. It was one saying, we know you're a teacher from God. We want to listen to what you have to say. Jesus is okay with questions, okay? Understand that. Jesus is okay with Real questions. He's okay with you not understanding everything. Do you think that God is sitting up in heaven, scratching his head and fretting over the fact that maybe Nicosia doesn't understand something about God? No, he's not worried about those kinds of things, okay? He's not worried if you don't understand something about him, okay? That's not what he's worried about. What he's worried about is this. Is that person going to surrender their will to me even if they don't understand? What is happening? Are they going to give up? Are they going to surrender? True believers listen to Jesus and change. 
And I believe, G, I didn't believe Nicodemus, it took him a little bit, but I believe he was a true believer. And I believe he changed. You see the change in the Gospel of John. He begins here with asking questions. And then in John 15, he uh, speaks out for Jesus. And then in John 19, you finally see him there with Joseph of Arimathea burying Jesus and with Jesus. And no doubt he probably would have been with the disciples. I don't know. We don't know the rest of the story. But the point being is that we see a change happening because he listened to Jesus. And there's only two types of people in this world. There's only two types of people. John 10, 25 and John 10, 27. It says, I told you and you believe not the works that I do of my fathers in my name. They bear witness of me, but ye believe me not because ye are not my sheep as I said unto you. Why did they not believe him? How did he know that they weren't his sheep? Because they didn't believe him. They didn't listen to him. Who are the people that are Jesus' sheep? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I was talking to Brother Yalls the other day on the phone, and he always has some good insiders. I like what he says sometimes. He said, you know what the problem is, Brother Matthew? He said, no, actually, he didn't say it like that. He said, the thing about it is, Brother Matthew, so uh, he said, the thing about it is, he said, most people don't want to be led. He said, they got to be drugged or driven. And I said, you know what? That's exactly right. You know, we need to be learned to be led. We need to follow Jesus. Too many times we're being driven and drugged. We're like cattle. We're not called to be cattle. We're called to be sheep, to follow him, to be led of Christ, to be led of the Lord. There's only two people in this world, people that listen to Jesus and people that don't listen to Jesus. I'd say that most of you listen to Jesus. But are you listening now? Even as believers, we can turn a deaf ear to him. We can kind of stop listening. But then Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus some important points. He tells him, he says, you must be born again. He says, Nicodemus, there's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. John 1.13 says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You and I cannot produce salvation. Nicodemus was, and many of the other Jews were relying upon their salvation because they were Jewish, because they were of the sons of Abraham, because they followed the law. But Jesus says, none of that is what counts. What counts is this. You must be born again. There must be born again. There's a different, there's, you must be born in another way, a different kind. It is not about being fabricated by, it's nothing that can be fabricated by flesh. That which is of the flesh is flesh. He says that. But that which is of the spirit is spirit. Which one are you? If you're still of the flesh, then you're not listening to Jesus. You can't listen to Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a sheep. But if you are listening to Jesus, then you've been born of the Spirit of God, and you're to be led by Him. We not only see that Jesus says that you must be born again, but in 14, He says there also must be one that's lifted up. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus is still perplexed by all of this. And he asks him, he says, I don't understand. How can these things be? He says, I'll tell you how it can be. He said, because there's coming one, and he's here in front of you, that has ascended up to heaven and has come down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is heaven. And he says, this same Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Now, I don't know that Nicodemus truly understood what he meant by lifted up. All he understood was this reference back to numbers. Uh, in Numbers chapter number 21, whenever the people were all bitten by serpents and Moses put a brazen serpent on a pole and was lifted up and people saw it and were saved. He didn't understand that Jesus was going to be lifted up, I believe, at this point upon a cross. But no doubt that particular verse stuck with him. And later on, you find G- as Joseph, or excuse me, Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea after Jesus is crucified. Burying him. Why? What did Nicodemus see? No doubt, Nicodemus saw Christ. And when he saw Christ, no doubt, no doubt in my mind that he heard John 3.14. As Moses was lifted up. Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's no doubt in my mind. He looked up and that he saw the Son of Man lifted up on a cross. You must be born again. Are you listening to Jesus? You must be born again. You must believe that he died on a cross for your sins. You must believe he was lifted up. And it is there that Nicodemus truly starts to see the light of John 3, 15 and 16. We've gone through the life of Nicodemus. Tried to take you through beginning and end. How is it that he is going to become a believer? It's by understanding all of these things. It's by listening. It's by being humble. It's by not arguing with Christ. Maybe not always under, understanding everything. But in John chapter 3, in verse number 15 and 16, Nicodemus is truly told and is truly seeing the light when he says that whosoever believeth in him, when Jesus says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I believe in John 19, it's proven to us that Nicodemus did exactly that. He believed. He believed. He, with Joseph and Mary of Mathia, buried Jesus. His thoughts finally lined up with God. His idols of self-righteousness were gone. He looked solely to Jesus for salvation. John 3.16 is the essence of the gospel. But it is also a great reminder to us that are saved. That we have no business trying to get around in this world on our own. We must take what Nicodemus did as an example. 
We must be willing to listen. We must be humble. And we must not argue with the Lord. And listen to what he says. Even if we don't understand. Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to hear him? Even if it doesn't make sense. How can, how can a man enter into a, his mother's womb again? Born again? What are you talking about? What do you mean? I don't understand. But I'm willing to listen. One said that we need to believe in Christ and his word and never compromise his message. Even if we don't understand all there is to it. And believe. This is key. And believe that one day God will show us and give us the answer. But even if he doesn't, to keep on believing. Thankfully for Nicodemus, he saw the answer. Lifted up. There he is. He didn't understand. He didn't understand anything. What Jesus was saying. He went away from this encounter. I'm sure still scratching his head. But on that fateful day. When he looked upon the cross. And he saw the Christ. High and lifted up. He said. That's him. There's the brazen serpent. There's the one that's come to redeem mankind. There he is. There he is. Have you believed upon him? Have you believed upon Christ to save you from your sins? And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? If you have, then do you think he's worthy enough to listen to with the rest of your life? Father, we're thankful for your word. It's a good word. I pray that, Father, you please would help us, Lord, to understand it, believe it. And even where we don't understand it and we don't have all the answers, may God, we still trust you. May we not compromise thy word, but look to it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.